Welcome to this presentation of First Baptist Church Logue. We're glad to have you joining us today. Our mission at FBC Logue is to bring glory to God by being disciple makers. For that purpose, we present the following resource that it may be a blessing. All right, you grab a Bible and turn to Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4, and in case you use one of our pew Bibles, you'll find that on page 982. After a few months of working our way through this letter, uh, we have finally come to the last section. Last week we finished looking at Paul's final instructions for the Philippian church, and now as he closes the letter, he's going to turn to address the Philippians personally. And so as we take the next couple of weeks to conclude this book, we're going to look at Paul's last words, what he has to say in these last words to this dearly loved church, and as always, by extension, uh, to us. And so we're in Philippians chapter 4, and we're going to pick up in verse 10. Paul writes, I rejoice in the Lord greatly, that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. So you may remember uh, that back at the beginning of this series, I mentioned that the reason Paul was writing this letter to begin with, the occasion for the letter, was because the Philippians had sent Epaphroditus to him in Rome with a report about the state of the church and also with a financial gift to help support Paul's needs. And he referred to this briefly at the end of chapter 2, we saw that, uh, but Paul has responded to this report from chapter 1 all the way through the beginning of chapter 4. And now as we pick up here in verse 10, he turns uh, to address the Philippians, to thank them for the gift that they sent. And he expresses how much it meant to him. He says, I rejoice in the Lord greatly, that at length you have revived your concern for me. Now, throughout this letter, Paul has consistently expressed the joy he has in the Lord. Uh, we've seen that over and over again. But here he adds the word greatly, which, which tells us that this particular occasion uh, was especially meaningful to him. Of course, we understand that Paul often felt isolated while he was in prison. And being unable to work, he had to depend on the generosity of other people uh, to, to survive. And that was probably hit and miss. And so when he heard a knock on the door and his old friend Epaphroditus walked in with a, a substantial financial gift, from the Philippian church, he was overjoyed and he thanked the Lord for it. I imagine that this was an answer to prayer in more ways than one. Now you'll notice that he says that he rejoiced because now at length the Philippians had revived their concern for him. That may come across somewhat awkwardly because it could be taken to imply that, that there was a certain period of time where the Philippians were not concerned about him. But in the second half of verse 10, we see that Paul knows that was not the case. He says, you were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. And so the word that we translate as revive is actually a botanical term for plants. And uh, it means to bloom. And the picture that we get from it is, is of flowers coming back and, and blooming every spring after the inopportune season of winter. And so a, a smoother way, perhaps, of understanding what Paul is saying here 
is that the Philippians' concern for him that was always there finally came full circle and bloomed. It, it came to fruition. Right? Their desire to help and their ability to help finally came together. We know that Rome was about 900 miles from Philippi, and depending on what time of year it was, it could take anywhere from six weeks to, to three months to make that journey. And of course, you have to have someone who's willing and able to go. And we also know that the, the Philippians were largely poor. So even if they had somebody who was able to go, it might have taken them a long time to raise enough money to justify the trip. There may have been other factors that, that had kept the Philippians from being able to do what they would like to have done for Paul. But now that has finally changed, and he has received their gift of love with great joy. And Paul's going to continue making important clarifications about what he's talking about here as we pick up again in verse 11. He says, Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. So as we pick up again in verse 11, Paul makes it clear that while he was very glad to receive the Philippians' gift, it wasn't because he was dissatisfied with his circumstances before that. And he insists that he's not speaking of being in need. He may have been on the ancient equivalent of the ramen noodle diet. Maybe it was Roman noodles at the time. But, but he's not complaining about it. Come on. He was not complaining about it. And he goes on to explain in the second half of the verse that he has learned to be content in whatever situation he finds himself in. Now, contentment is a state of satisfaction with your circumstances. It includes not being preoccupied with a desire to have more or wanting to have something different than what you have. Now, of course, we need to be careful that we understand what Paul's not saying. He's not talking about indifference or apathy in life as if nothing really matters for him. If something bad happens, whatever. If something good happens, whatever. No, Paul was a man that we've, we've already seen over the last couple of weeks who felt deeply. He, he's not apathetic, but he is content. Paul says in, in verse 12 that, that he has learned to be satisfied with where he is and what he has, no matter what. He, he says he knows how to be brought low, meaning that he's learned how to be okay, even when life seems to be falling apart. He says he also knows how to abound, which means he knows how to live and, and how to be okay when everything in life seems to be going well. He emphasizes that in any and every circumstance, he has learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. And when Paul says that he has learned this, obviously this tells us this is not something that we do naturally. None of us are content by nature. And the word learn is actually talking about coming to understand something through a process and through practice, through experience, rather than by instruction. So in other words, contentment is not something that we can learn by reading a book about it. Contentment is not something that we can learn by listening to someone else share their experience about it. Contentment, the, the only way to learn contentment 
is to go through undesirable circumstances in our own lives and to find in the midst of that that God's grace is sufficient. And Paul says that he has done this. I can't read his words here without thinking about all of Paul's life experiences. If you were with us through our series through Acts, then you remember that we saw how much he suffered for the gospel. But I'm also reminded of chapter 11 in his second letter to the Corinthians, where where Paul just lists all of the ways that his life has been hard as a result of following Jesus, many of which were not recorded in Acts. So among other things, he says that he has endured many imprisonments with countless beatings and being often near death. He says, five times I received at the hands of the Jews the forty lashes less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea. On frequent journeys, in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, dangers from my own people, dangers from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. See, these situations were the school in which Paul learned to be content in every circumstance. So we may ask, how does this work? How did Paul come to a point where he learned to be satisfied? He learned to be okay with with wherever he was and whatever things were going. Even when things hurt or he experienced loss or he was mistreated or, or even when all of those things were happening at the very same time. Well, he doesn't explain in detail here, but I think that by looking at we find what we find elsewhere in the New Testament, we get a good idea of how Paul's contentment developed. And so I just want to share uh, three of those with you briefly. First of all, Paul developed contentment because he saw that God was at work through him in his circumstances. Going back to what he wrote in chapter 1, Paul got the Philippians' uh, attention and he said, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. And we saw that that was because the soldiers who were guarding him in prison had come to hear about Jesus and Many of the Roman Christians were emboldened to share their faith as a result of Paul's example. And Paul saw that God accomplished things through his suffering that would not have happened otherwise. And that gave a sense of purpose to his difficulties that enabled him to hold on. And in the same way today, we have to remember that our suffering is never random and it is not meaningless. Even in our worst moments, God is always working. Secondly, I think Paul developed contentment because he knew that God was at work in him through his circumstances. We've discussed in the past that that one of the reasons we can be thankful in all circumstances is because we know that, as James tells us, that God uses difficulty in our lives to grow and develop us spiritually. So just as an athlete gets faster or stronger, 
by training against resistance, breaking down muscle and then having it rebuild again. In the same way, we grow in our faith as we endure the difficult circumstances of life. And of course, this is very rarely something that we can see in the moment. It's something that we have to look back on later and realize, wow, God really molded and shaped me through that season. Then finally, and most of all, I think Paul developed contentment in his circumstances because he was convinced that God loved him. Paul was convinced that God loved him. If anybody embraced the gospel and its implications, it was Paul. As you may remember, in his very first letter that was written to the churches in Galatia, Paul wrote that he considered himself crucified with Christ. It was no longer him who lived, but Christ who lived in him. And and he explained that the life that he now lived, he lived by faith in the Son of God who loved him and gave himself for him. In everything that Paul went through, everything that we just read about moments ago and and, uh, other things that were never recorded, he was convinced that God loved him. And that love had been clearly demonstrated through Jesus in his life, death, and resurrection. And this conviction changed everything. This, This is an unshakable confidence that kept Paul steady no matter what life threw at him. And so in his letter to the Romans, he asked, if God is for us, which we know he is in Christ, then who can be against us? And I think this is perhaps the most important factor for us as we seek to develop contentment in our own lives. We need to be convinced that whatever we come up against, God loves us. And one of the most common immediate responses when we encounter suffering is for us to question God's love. Why is this happening? It feels like God has abandoned us, or at the the very least, he's not paying very close attention to what's going on in our lives. But Jesus proved God's love for us on the cross. And God has promised that he will never leave or forsake his people. And when we are truly convinced of that, It gives us confidence to face whatever comes. This, I I think, is is how Paul developed contentment in his life, among perhaps other things. As we move into verse 13, he's going to summarize his perspective in what is certainly one of the most well-known verses in all of Scripture. And So we'll pick up one last time in verse 13. He says, I can do all things through him, who strengthens me. And so here in verse 13, Paul's explanation reaches its peak when he says, I can do all things through him, meaning Jesus, who strengthens me. And verse 13 is, is easily one of the most famous verses in the entire Bible. Uh, next to John 3.16, Philippians 4.13 is the most searched for verse on the internet. People love Philippians 4.13. Athletes write it on their eye black. Graduation speakers use it as a a source of inspiration. Lifeway prints it on coffee mugs and picture frames and t-shirts. There may not be a more popular verse than Philippians 4.13. The problem is that it doesn't actually mean what we often take it to mean. 
is popularly understood, verse 13 is all about our ability to accomplish our goals. And in essence, all things for us means usually I can accomplish whatever I set my mind to do. I, I can win that game. I can pass that exam. I can convince this girl to go out with me. Right? I can do all things through him who strengthens me. We, we, we see this. There, there's something that I want to do. It's going to be really hard, but I can do all things through him who strengthens me. But again, the problem is that that's not at all what Paul is talking about here. Now, if we stop to think about it, that's obvious. Right? We realize that this verse doesn't carry the implications that we often attribute, it to, or attribute to it. I think perhaps that's sometimes the problem. We don't stop long enough to think about it. But for one, we know from experience that Philippians 4.13 doesn't mean that we can do anything. It doesn't matter if you're a believer. It doesn't matter if you're a pastor. It doesn't matter if you're the Apostle Paul. Philippians 4.13 does not mean that through the power of Christ you can jump to the moon. It's, not, it's never happened before. It's not going to happen. It's not supposed to happen. That's not what this verse means. And it, we recognize this uh, logically. Right? If you are, are interviewing for a job and, and you're nervous and you take a deep breath in the waiting area and you, you remind yourself that I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Well, what is that supposed to mean if the other person who is applying for the job is also a believer? In this case, the Lord is enabling me to get this job instead of you, while at the same time, he's enabling you to get this job instead of me. Of course, it can't possibly work both ways. Again, the reality is it doesn't work either way. Because again, that's not what Paul wants us to understand from this verse. Finally, and most importantly of all, we know that verse 13 doesn't mean what we often take it to mean because of context. So in our, our Bible interpretation class that we just finished last week, one of the main principles that we emphasize over and over is that context is king. Right? A verse can only mean what it means in context. Right? context. Context restricts meaning. And in this case, verse 13 is limited to and defined by verses 11 and 12. So all things refers to Paul being brought low or abounding, having plenty or being hungry, having more than he needs or not enough. Whatever the case, Paul can do it all because Christ gives him the strength he needs. And so we see here that, that Paul isn't talking about being able to accomplish whatever he wants. He's actually talking about being able to persevere through things that he doesn't want. This is not about Jesus making all of our dreams come true. It's about finding Jesus to be enough, even in our worst nightmare. Philippians 13 isn't about unlimited potential. It's about unemployment. It doesn't belong on the football field as much as it does in the funeral home. It's not about how much we can win in life. It's actually about how much we can lose and still keep going. And understanding that should actually make this verse much more meaningful than it is in the, off, in, in the way that we often take it to mean. The point is that if the Lord brings him to either extreme or anywhere in between, Paul 
can do it. He has learned to be content as the Lord supernaturally enables him, strengthens him to endure. And so while the Philippians' gift is certainly a blessing that he is legitimately grateful for, it's important for Paul that they know that he's not just looking for more money. He's learned to be content with whatever the Lord has for him. And so in our passage this morning, Paul thanks the Philippians for their love and their generosity, even as he insists that he has learned to be okay without it. Paul is content. He may not always be happy, but he always has joy. He may not know where he's going to get his next meal from. He may not know what's going to happen when he stands trial before the emperor in a short time, but he always has peace. As we've seen with joy and peace over the last couple of weeks, true contentment is not affected by our circumstances. Again, it is not talking about indifference or apathy. It comes from a deep-seated trust that God loves us and that he is at work through our circumstances, trusting that he is going to provide for us along the way. Through all of the ups and downs in his life over the years, Paul has learned through the process of how to be satisfied as the Lord has proven to be faithful. And church, this is incredibly important for us because as we've already said, by nature we are not content. If that wasn't bad enough, we live in a society that constantly conditions us to want more, to to want better, to want newer. And, And even if we can't get any of that, at the very least, we want to avoid any kind of pain or discomfort. And the danger is that if we allow that expectation to go unchecked, if we don't actively cultivate contentment in our lives, then when God leads us down a different path, it's going to throw us for a loop. And our world is going to be spinning out of control. But if we remember that God uses difficult circumstances to work in us and through us, and if we are convinced because of Jesus that God loves us, then we too will find and learn over time that we are able to do all things through him who strengthens us. This morning, may the Lord grant us that ability to trust him and to be content in him. Let's pray together.